Hello, and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we dive deep into Wildbo's most shortest work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we're here, it's our final episode, huh? Yeah, I mean, final, mostly, final regular episode. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird, and this episode is a weird one to end on because it's like it's the calm after the storm. Is that an expression? Uh, it's the opposite well, of the calm before the storm. <laughs> um, yeah, it's also, I mean, it's the packed version of the calm after the storm. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I, I never like get teary or cry when reading. Like mm. for me it's a lot more common in, in movies and TV for whatever reason. Yeah. Uh it happened a number of times during this chapter. Like you're right, this is the the end in many ways. I'm not looking forward to the experience of the epilogue. I'm, I'm gonna be a mess, I think. Mm. Um but yes. like yeah, thank thanks to everyone who's come along with us because I think part of the reason it's affected me so much is how closely we've been following the book and and you know this journey we've been going on with with all with everyone who's listening. Yeah. Um, I'm tempted to dive more into talking about Pact as a whole, but, you know, we're going to have 24 hours of that, <laughs> yeah, so, <yeah. laughs> uh, so let's save it for that. Um, yeah, there's no need to rush. Yes. In case you somehow don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about the fact that we're doing a 24-hour live stream uh, on Saturday the 7th of March. You can check out the link in the description to find out more. Um, it's going to be really fun. We're going to talk about... The show in general, what we thought about it, a bunch of segments, have a bunch of special guests. Uh, Wildbo will be there. A bunch of the Doof Media hosts will be there. Um, yeah, it's just going to be a whole fun experience. Yeah, and, and, and you know, we've, we've sort of been highlighting segments for each episode. And I think one of the last ones I wanted to talk about here is uh, we're opening that with recording the episode. And, and we've already sort of talked about that. But then after that, the next hour is pretty much just dedicated to us chatting with whoever's on the stream at that point and just talking about the show the story you know just a bit of a bit of a debrief after after finishing you know the whole experience so uh yeah if you're the sort of person who's been listening along uh listening along as we go you're definitely the sort of person we want to to come along for for that second hour yeah um we'll basically just be talking about the story as a whole you know now that you actually see it as a complete picture elliot we can re-dive into some of the things that uh that we want to dive back into with that in mind stuff like that yeah uh yeah i can't wait yeah um but you know one one last time let's talk about judgment 16 uh 13 let's talk about this chapter um yep which opens with, uh, yeah, the, the Dark Tower kind of falling apart uh, without this demon <laughs> holding it together. Um, and Kingslingers, Blake... <laughs> now available on doofmedia.com. Yeah, sorry, I was just binging Kingslingers, and so everything in my head is Dark Towers. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, basically it's all turning to a, a smoke, a liquidy kind of heavy liquid smoke, and uh, Blake is just kind of stuck under this fog uh, as he crawls around <laughs> as a tiny little hand. And the rest of the group kind of you know, regroups, gets themselves in order and begins to, uh, to leave. Yeah. But this, this moment where Blake just kind of gets trapped in Mm. the, the sort of smoke, smoky dust that's happening is just immediately setting the tone of like how, I mean, spent he is. I think spent is the word I want to use for, for where Blake's at this chapter. He, he doesn't really do a thing this whole chapter. We talked last chapter about how he still managed to do his one last thing. And it's like, now the war's over and Blake is just, 
a passenger at best. Yeah, I um, think the the most agency that we see him express in this is when he like blinks at somebody. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's basically the only thing he can do this chapter. Um, yeah, I think he blinks at Evan. Yeah, and that's about it. Yeah, that's the extent of the you know ability to communicate that he has, which is pretty insane. Um, but apart from Blake, the rest of the group, you know, they're injured. They they obviously have some wounds to lick, but they. They've made it through, which is nice. No, no apart from the the Isadora died, and that's tragic. But nobody that we care about more than Isadora died, which is good. <laughs> um, yeah, I definitely like the the vibe. I would say of this chapter is yeah, as you said, they're battered, they're beaten up, they're a bit of a wreck, but but they're here, they're still alive, and they're making their way out. Um, there's a bunch of sort of potential dangers that present themselves throughout the chapter, but they're all kind of pretty easily overcome. Mm. Um, and, and it's really this sense of like, here we are at the end of the story and, and things aren't necessarily good, yeah. but, but they're better. And, and that's what it was all about. Yeah. Should we touch on the fact that the vibe of this chapter really isn't triumphant at all? Um, you know, especially not towards the start when it's very cautious, like cautiously optimistic, but even towards the end when the group kind of realizes, yes, we've won, there's never really, it never really feels like there's a moment of like exhale, you know, it never really feels like there's a moment of, okay, the war is now over. Um, I don't know if I completely agree. I definitely Mm. agree that it's not like, yeah, like, you know, bombastically triumphant, like, Mm. yes, we've done it. Like, let's throw a parade. Um, it's a more like subtle uplifting. Like I, I would have, I would have said it's exactly like you, they can just release the tension now. It's just like, okay, yeah. you know, things are better. They're not good, but they're better. And we can look forward to the future with, with hope. I guess uh, the reason I say that is because where this chapter goes is it's not, nobody in the group gets to a point where they think, okay, now I can sit back. We get to the end of this and it's like, okay, now the obstacles that are preventing us from doing the actual work are gone. So we can actually do the things that we, that we want to be doing a bit more. It's, it's not, we've achieved it. It's (laughs) the things that were getting in our way are finally gone. Yeah. And I I don't don't know. I think that is like, you know, really powerful in its own way. I agree. It's definitely a more subtle thing. Like, like, you know, it's not, uh, we've defeated, you know, the golden god, and and everything's fine now. It's, yeah. It's um, yeah. We can we can relax, and we can actually do what we want, as you said. Yeah. Um, except for maybe our literal handyman now. Um, <laughs> I like that. That's a good nickname for him. Um. So, uh, just quick note: we get confirmation that Butzak has survived this. Uh, he seems <laughs> fine, so he's on the table for a sequel. So that's good. <laughs> I love how Mags still has to wrangle the goblins here. Yeah. Like, they're just, they're so incorrigible. Like, even here in the end, we're talking about how everyone else has this sense of, like, you know, a, a melancholy or, or whatever. Like, there's, melancholy would probably be the word I'd use to describe the, the tone of, of most yes. of this chapter. But there's still the goblins, and they're still just little shits. Um, and that's nice to know in its own way. You know, they're still there. They're still being fuckwits. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, one of them's pretending to be dead for some reason, <laughs> just to like try and get Mags <laughs> off of their case, I guess. Um, anyway, uh, so Mags goes over and picks up Blake, who she had kind of assumed was dead before now, which I think was a fair assumption. Well, I mean, even after saying he's not dead, she also takes the time to clarify that he's not specifically alive. Yeah. Um, she says alive in a manner of speaking. Yeah. Um, 
and, and yeah, I mean, like, we touched on this already, but, like, yeah, Blake is just a piece of wood, basically, at this point. He doesn't even get... Like, that, that's the thing. There's never any... In this chapter, Blake never says, like, I wanted or I thought or that. He's pretty much just narrating. Yeah. There, there's there's not really a, a Blake left. Well, it, yeah. It's it, sort it, of the vibe I got from this. It feels very detached, except possibly at the very end, the last line, where we finally get something that feels like it's from Blake's perspective rather than just kind of narrating mm-hmm. what's going on. Um, yeah. We'll get to yeah. that in a bit. You're right, because, you know, we get we get a description of what Blake looks like here, and he says... I was a lumpy, crude hand with a thread of flesh running over it, an eyeball tucked into the crook of her arm. And so basically, Blake is a wooden hand with an eye next to it. Um, and that's it. That's everything mm. that he's got, um, which is not, uh, yeah, not not great. No, yeah, and that comes across in his, yeah, not just lack of action in this chapter but his lack of want to do any action his lack of opinion about anything he he really just like he for all intents and purposes he may as well be an inanimate object for this chapter like apart from that one blink um he yeah i mean there was a real sense as all this was going on and we're watching everyone else else have these heartfelt goodbyes i was sort of like blake's already gone (laughs) like yeah and that and that sucks yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. It, he he is, right? Like you're right. It, I didn't I don't think I quite put my finger on it as much last chapter, but him grabbing Mrs. Lewis's ankle was his final act, right? Like that's the last thing that Pretty he had much. the ability to do. Um And I mean, you know, that's that's so Blake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, expending literally his last bit of power for this tiny shred of an action. Um that that you know ultimately led to uh, a victory. Yeah, definitely. Um, so they're, they're descending the tower and we get more imagery of what this tower kind of crumbling is like and crumbling isn't the right word because it's not, it, it kind of feels like it's dissipating, like it's being, mm. um, thanos or something. It's, it's kind of turning to dust as it <laughs> collapses. It's really strange. Yeah. But in, in slow-mo kind of, like yeah. not as rapid and in descending down it's, um, yeah, it's interesting. Like we never really see what the abyss is planning to do with this space. Like this is a very different uh abyss takeover than what happened to the thorburn house which is like literally everyone fell down and then two minutes later they were in a a weird freaky library Mm. this is much more like the abyss is doing this seemingly with a lot more purpose yeah in a way it kind of feels less reactive it's it's intentionally taking it apart piece by piece um i'd be so interested to find out what what it ends up being used for or or turned into by the abyss yes that is interesting isn't it because it's not like the abyss is all about change whereas it seems like this isn't being morphed like you said this isn't like you know the very explicitly uh how the the house hillsglade house before was turned into the library this is it's it's being broken down on a molecular level um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like uh, like whereas hillsglade house was just kind of rearranged. Yes, exactly. Um, in a way um yeah and i mean obviously as well i think this really suits the different vibe like you know the the library being such a rapid and and bombastic change really suited the frankly insane pacing of of arc 15 (laughs) yeah whereas you know this is the end the 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 melancholy and i feel like this slowly the landscape just slowly disintegrating including the sky fits in with all that like there is just a sense of things are ending as as the world is literally slowly disappearing you know um yeah like it, it, again it's it's packed so it's it's working on multiple levels <laughs> yeah totally 
Um, putting aside all these nice metaphors for a second, we see Green Eyes is safe, which is good. We got we saw nothing of her last chapter, so the fact that she is safe and and uh, alive is is good. Uh, but obviously, it it kind of immediately gets seeded that something's up with Green Eyes, and it doesn't take a, a huge leap of logic to realize that Green Eyes is. Um, Getting ready to kill Rose. Yes, exactly, right? Like, Green Eyes... And and even later on, there's these bits where Green Eyes is responding very kind of morosely, very grimly, and it's quite clear that she's like, yes, yes, I'll play along for now, but as soon as I get my chance, Rose, you're like, you and me are going to have it out. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I I mean, yeah, you're right. Like, as soon as we sort of meet Green Eyes on the stairs here, this seed is just planted of, this is going to be a problem very, very soon. Um. And I think that's something this chapter maybe does a few times. Like, you know, we're about to get to, to Barbatorum being at the at the bottom of the tower. And it's sort of like, I think reading Pact, we've been trained to just anticipate another shoe dropping once, once they beat something. Mm. So even though I knew there was only one chapter left, I kept waiting for things to still go back to, to being like a shitty chaotic mess for a little while. Yeah. Um, and I think this chapter's having fun with that by setting up things like Green Eyes and Barbatorum and you know miss lewis being the prisoner and all of them just kind of actually being resolved fairly cleanly without any problems well, um, yeah like- uh, it's not i think that's the grander theme of what this chapter and the whole story is trying to tell us is yeah you know the, the point of the story so far has kind of been blake and rose desperately trying to fight against the heavy weight of all the shit that's been dumped on them and at every turn they've made some progress but they've also been kind of pushed back as they go and so if this chapter was like if this chapter ended with and now here's another thing that's going to be dumped on you it would kind of be like (laughs) well there's no end to it right um but that's not what the story is trying to say yeah well i mean that's the thing things have just continuously impacted and not gotten better and then in this chapter they have and like that that really adds to this this sense of the ending here because yeah there are problems here and they all just sort of overcome them and and everyone's reasonable you know and it's just kind of like yeah things are, are better now there, there's yeah. challenges but they can overcome them because yeah, they know things, they can things can be improved problems can yeah. be solved eventually you know yeah exactly um yeah, so... It's it's a great way to finish it up. Yeah, exactly. Um, so they reach the bottom of the tower and they regroup with the ones that were left behind um, and they begin to venture outside where the barber is waiting. God, it's good to have Evan back. <laughs> um, like, just... I, I think, like, I can see now, like, it was totally, I think, the right move to ha- take Evan out of the final conflict because, you know, it was it was sort of very serious. We still had Peter and Butsack when we needed to have a laugh, but um like i just would have been worried about evan the whole time and and it gave us more space to have blake and rose interact a lot more so i i totally get why evan was left out of this ultimate final boss battle but god it also works because now we get him back and i just realized how much i missed him um like he he as things are resolving and there's sadness, like, you know, the fact that the story's ending, uh, it's good to have Evan to cheer us back up uh, alongside that. Yeah, I think he probably needed to take a bit of a backseat so that we could get to some of the darker and more intense stuff. And, you know, the moment where he sees Blake is pretty great. <laughs> um, yeah, well, that's the thing. I think, like, the Evanness of him hits us harder because we've been missing him for a little bit. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, can we talk about the fact that Barbatorum has kept on Johannes's corpse for now, <laughs> at least? Because it's so unsettling and unnecessary. And I love the way that it it's kind of seems odd at first, and then it gets contextualized later by him just trying to do another thing to, you know, get your attention, to try and make you focus on him more. Yeah, I think you could also sort of talk about how it might symbolize the fact that he doesn't move on or, or move yes. forward. Like, uh, we were just saying how there's a real sense in this chapter that these this group has uh, overcome their burdens in a way and now they're able to move forward and Barbatorum is not doing that. He's clinging on to this, well, these scraps of Johannes that he's still got. Yeah, and then he pops, <laughs> uh, which is wild. Um, it's, yeah, really fucked up. Yeah, this is this is uh one of the big moments in the chapter. Like when they're just walking, Barbatorum just screams himself to the point where Johannes explodes. Yeah. Um, I I also think it really it really hits you as a moment because the first thing after that is Noah, the leader of the Rat Pack, just saying good. Um, which yeah. is fucking brutal. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess in a way that's our farewell to Johannes. Uh, is is Noah <sighs> shitting on him? Yeah. Um. It's yeah. It's such a it's such a strong moment in the chapter. Yeah, I I still feel like Johannes has been a bit hard done by by this book, but yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, I guess we could talk about that on the live stream. Yes, um, I think we should. Um, there's, I think I think there's a segment in particular that's going to come up, but uh, yeah, I mean, look, he's he's gone now, and I I think for better or worse, he probably didn't deserve what he got, but but anyway, mm, yeah. Um, so yeah, the group is kind of shuffling on and Barbatorum is kind of desperately trying to get their attention because if he gets their attention, he can kind of re-engage them and, and force them to keep fighting him. Uh, but their response, Rose's response is basically, no, we're past this now, we're beyond this, you can't touch us. Yeah, and, and like, this is so cool, this big powerful demon who was kind of the big bad has just been reduced to... I mean, like, this this little attention seeker. Yeah. Like, he, he's trying to do all of this terrible shit to get their attention, as he said. They just all don't look, and then it amounts to nothing. It's such a yeah. pure and, and, and great way to round out everything this arc in particular has been talking about. Yes, I do really like it. I kind of wish that Barbatorum started doing, like, street magic and stuff to try and get their attention, <laughs> but obviously would have been a bit of a conflicting tone. Um, yeah, it's such a weird... It's like this reverse staring contest where they have to not look at him which is something that has been hinted at throughout the story with things like the Ur fight or Barbatorum in the library. These things where not looking at him was a key part of, of how you dealt with this. But it takes on a different kind of like superior tone now. It's not looking at him. It's still for the same reason of not giving him an in. But it's like we're beyond you now. We don't need to bother with you. It's such a it's such an interesting tone. Yeah, you're right. Well, before it was defensive because it was like looking at looking at them was the the one thing they needed to get in and beat you. And now the other one's like he's already beaten. They just need to not look at him so that he can't sneak back in. Yes. Um. I like. I mean, for me, uh, something that jumped to mind was in 15.x. Uh, there was that mention of how like speech was something that's I- inverted in demons, like the. You know, it's the young ones and the old ones who can speak and the more yep. moderate ones can't. And, uh, like, that's sort of what Barbatorum is reduced to now is is just kind of screaming and throwing a tantrum like a child, which is where, you know, or a toddler. Like, that's where his, his speech level's at and that's where his behaviour ends up right here. Like, he's just <laughs> he's just throwing a, a, a tension tantrum and, yeah. uh, and it's not working. Yeah, I like that comparison. That's really good. 
Um, I also, I love the moment where Rose is really confident about like, yeah, we've beaten him three times. And then I think it's Lola who dives into it. And it's so obviously <laughs> bluster. <laughs> like one of the times is when Rose Senior first bound him, which is, she's just taking credit for it. But of course they can't question it. And that kind of leads to it working. The fact that they just kind of believe, yes, you know, it counts is enough uh, to, to take down this now quite weakened demon. Yeah, well, I mean, like, that's the thing, right, is it's flimsy, but it, there's a shred of, like, I guess that makes sense, like, because Rose's specific yes. point, I think, is she's like, if karma works that way, like, if I can get the bad sides, then, like, fuck this shit, I want the good parts of of this yeah. Bloodlines bullshit, and, and, like, there's just enough sense there that, like, all of them can just not question it, and it holds, and I, I really like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and this is... This is it. They they keep walking and eventually Barbatorum falls behind and he's gone. Um, and that's the last we see of him. And it's interesting. It's not, it's a whimper of an ending. It's not like a, you know, we, we already got the climactic battle ending and this is the kind of whimpering ending of him in the story. And it's so, I don't know the word for it. It's like vague, like not like we know that, we know that he's done. We know that they've won unambiguously, but it's, it's such a vague ending because they have to, by necessity, not look at him or think about him. And so kind of, it it ends in this weird tantalizing way. Yeah. I think whimpering was the perfect word for it. Like it's this small, unimportant, undignified ending. That's what he does. He he doesn't get to die in the glory of, of battle or whatever. It's just like he dies you know, in the background, nobody's even looking at him. He's throwing a tantrum and it's this small, yeah, un- undignified death and what he deserves. And yeah, yeah like, I think, I think it's, I think it's really great. I think in, in like a lesser work, like if this was a comic book series, I'd be like, oh, well now they can just bring Barbatorum back. Um, <laughs> but you know, here it's like, okay, he's, he's gone and he's gone yeah. in the most pathetic way possible. And that is the ultimate defeat. Yeah. I guess that's what the point is in a world so defined by theatrics if he was defeated in some grand play then it would be like oh well now he can have this big revenge or whatever but the kind of whimpering finale of barbatorum just reduces him so much from this hulking threat of a demon to just this mosquito that you (laughs) ignore you don't even (laughs) swat exactly yeah um, I guess similarly, Miss Lewis <laughs> is kind of unceremoniously dumped in a ditch and Butzak <laughs> kind of pushes her down. She tumbles and she just kind of gets caught in, in you know, the sinking ground into the abyss. Um, and they, again, just turn their back on her and walk on her. Yeah, uh, like dumping her in a ditch is just the, the perfect experience because that's, that's like what it is. They're just saying, oh, that's a hole in the ground that she'll fall into the abyss and just, just toss her in. It's it's equally undignified um the butt sack moment or part of it is hilarious like just how they go to ask him to do it and they don't even have to finish before he's fucking flicking her in there um he's so eager to be a little shithead i love it yeah um and (laughs) yeah like you know much like the barber she gets her own kind of um pathetic death yeah so rose kind of kicks a slab on her which hits her and she just kind of struggles for a bit and then stops struggling as she sinks in and rose does a bit of a like badass final line and i had this response of like yeah it's an okay line like it doesn't feel like it's super badass i think rose is still kind of learning how to be a badass but it is a nice little send off like okay now you're done and we'll just turn our back on you and walk away (laughs) yeah i don't know maybe maybe i'm just like bad at this stuff like rose because i thought it was pretty badass um yeah i think it's good for 
you know, uh, okay, here's what I'd say. I think it would be good if a real person came up with it off the top of their head. Like, okay, that's pretty good. But if comparing it to a movie where someone would write a badass line, it doesn't stack up. And I guess that's good that it's more realistic, but, you know, it doesn't deliver on the, like, high theatricality, I think. Yeah, fair. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. It did for me, but like, mm. maybe I'm just easily pleased with that stuff. I don't know. <laughs> fair enough. Um, and yeah, that's Mrs. Lewis, who was a fun antagonist, a mysterious yeah. sociopath. sociopath. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do kind of wish we learned a bit more about, you know, how she got in her circumstance. But I think, again, the lawyers can only get to that position because they are forced into making stupid decisions. And so seeing her make some stupid decisions probably would have taken away from, from our impression of her. Yeah, you're right. Like her origin story would maybe take away some of the mystery, if nothing else. Um, and and like showing her at a low point would take away from the mystique of of how fucking like powerful and strong she was for most of this. Mm. Um, like I mean, she, you're right. She was always one of the most fun antagonists. Like even all the way back in Arc Two, when you were trying so hard not to like her, but you kind of yeah. did. Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> it, it was it was really fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Barbatorum checked off, the lawyers checked off, and so the group finally allows themselves to admit that they've won, um, and they decide, you know, they start to plan what they should do next. Yeah, and this is where uh, where it starts to get really sad, because this, this is basically all the final goodbyes, and it's, um, I mean, it's emotional. Yeah, no, yeah, it is. And we get to, we get these moments of each character deciding what they're doing next. Rose's choice is to help clean up the town, which is good. Clean up some of the mess that she now owns as the Lady of Jacob's Bell. Um, yeah. But she interestingly decides she wants to write more diabolic texts, which I think is a really nice conclusion to her arc of, um, you know, the goal of, of breaking the wheel they, they obviously haven't fully done that. They've taken some steps towards it, and there's this feeling that their victory will count for so much more if they can use it to build momentum about how other yeah. practitioners can kind of get out from under the systems that have been oppressing them. Yeah, like, the, the whole idea of these particularly diabolic texts being spread around like this is something that's come up, like, at various points throughout the story, and this is such a perfect delivery on that concept, and, and mm. you're right, like, it so suits Rose. It's just, it, it's a great, it's a great sort of epilogue, for want of a better word, for, for her character arc. Like, I, as soon as I read <laughs> this, I was like, of course, of course that's what she's going to do. I'd maybe think yes. about rebranding them from Diabolic if you really want them to spread that well. Well, um, yeah, I was thinking about that, but I, I kind of see it as how, you know, we have, like... Uh, the Church of the Satanists, right, which is basically a way for people to gr- gather under the idea that they're protesting against all the things that are terrible about organized religion, right? Mm. I kind of see it as a similar thing where it's it's diabolic, but it's because it's subversive to the current system, not because it's bad, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. Um, but just, you know, the whole... The, no, the, it is a branding issue. <laughs> there, are, with di- there is baggage to that name, yeah. Um, yeah, I like, I don't know. But, like, you know, with things like Black Lamb's Blood and all that, like, you can totally see the, the place for this sort of work in the world. Um, yeah, like, I, I really like this as the sort of answer to where Rose is going after all this. Yeah. Um, so we know what Rose's plans are. Uh, the rest of the group kind of gets their moments of talking about what they're going to do next and then leaving uh, the group and, and presumably the story. Um, so Lola is the first to leave and then Mags and Peter and Ainsley. Um, yeah, it's it's sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, um, 
yeah, I don't know. This is where I started to tear up as we started doing these goodbyes. And it's funny because some of these characters weren't even like that important for most of the story, you know? Like, yeah. Like someone like Lola, like how much has she even been in it? But it still mattered to me so much at the end here. It's um, it's really well done. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's a it's a nice vibe, isn't it? It it, it because it's these characters deciding for themselves what they should do. Um. Finally, they are under from the thumb of. You know, they're under from the thumb of their systems. You know, Lola Duchamp, she's free from the Duchamps now, although she kind of chooses to to maintain the family connection. Um, we, we finally get to see what these people want to do outside of the things that have been thrust upon them. Yeah, and, and, and so all these goodbyes being in sequence like this really starts to hammer home, like, one of the other things that we were doing with this bring one person from each family on the mission thing where it's like as you said they they rose brings up they were all told and taught to hate each other mm. and and now they're here and they've they've made their lives better and they've they've beaten that yeah and now they're all kind of friends and and so there's this real sense of hope as each of them leaves on good terms talking about what they're going to do and how they're going to stay in touch and it's just like you know the 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 social order of of all these people is so much better than it was at the start of the book despite the state of the town yeah yeah exactly um and and we get specific versions of that as well right like lola's Mm. decision is to go and kind of help pick up the pieces of her family which is so interesting because uh, you know the whole arc 13 was about getting the the junior duchamps away from the systems and now lola is going back not to the those systems but to the to her family to rebuild this in a different way which i think is really like a great representation of like yes this is hopefulness and forgiveness and, and empathy that can be learned in this universe yeah absolutely like she they've sort of destroyed the system but that doesn't mean her family is nothing and she's going to go and try and help them through this and and hopefully make the family better and yeah, yeah that's so that's so great yeah um mags has a a bit of an ominous ending, I'll admit. Um, <laughs> she 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 basically talks about uh, how... Well, she doesn't talk about it this explicitly, but it's kind of clear that she f- still feels slave to her destiny, right? Um, things were obviously quite predetermined for Blake and Rose, and this whole story for them has been them getting out from under that, but Mags is still under it. Um, and she talks about things like the, the uh, three, you know, instances of blood, fire and darkness to be expected. And then mm. she talks about things like how she's going to hunt down the fairies, which, yeah, fair enough. Um, it, it feels like she has things that she feels like she needs to do rather than necessarily wants to do. But it's obviously a bit blurry. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're right. She does. She does more than anyone else give off the vibe of not being past all of her existing problems yet yeah um i mean i i don't know i i got massive packed to set up vibes <laughs> yeah me out too of this bit, to be honest it's just like the just the the mag segment basically consists of hey remember i still have another big blood fire and darkness coming up and also i gotta go find Pordrick. and yeah it's just kind of like i'm just kind of pack two let's do it pack two you know what i'm ready makes me think that the most is that you know how wabo does the cross references to other stories in his stories and there's like the maggie holt series of books i think it's in worm i'm not 100 percent sure it's they're in ward for sure right um and to me that's kind of like well is there enough here for a whole series of books not yet all right get it get on it (laughs) (laughs) um yeah yeah um 
And then we get the departure of Ainsley, which didn't leave that much of an impression on me. But Peter goes with her, which I, f- I found very interesting. Um, because Peter's departure is, like, he leaves with, on good terms with Rose, of course. But, but with this vibe of, like, you know, we'll be in touch, right? Yeah. And, and not just because we're cousins, but because now I'm a part of this world. And it's crazy mm. to me that Peter could go through this experience and still want to be more ingrained in the world of Pact. Like, I get that he would never be able to let things go back to normal, um, but he doesn't even pretend to try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, like, I, I want to pull out this one line that I think summarises Peter's whole exit. Uh, which is when he turns to Rose and says, uh, you're not all that bad for a Thorburn. Mm. And like that's just the Thorburn experience right there. And, and we've just talked about how there's been so much healing um, between all the families here, like, you know, the Duchamps and the Bahames, and there's a peace between all the members of this crew. But wait, there's a peace in amongst most of these Thorburns now, which yeah. is the, the true miracle of Pactmas. Yeah, um, it, it does feel like the Thorburns are this microcosm of the practitioner community, right? Where practitioners yeah. are naturally set up to be at conflict with each other, as these Thorburns kind of represent. But it's kind of proven here between, you know, Rose and Blake and Peter and, and Paige and all of them. No, there's a, a better way to do this. There's a more wholesome way that this can be done. Yeah, and, and Peter, I think, has always kind of represented to me, like, he's always been the most Thorburniest Thorburn uh, in a lot of ways, so it's so perfect to use him for this here. Like, he's he's stepped up, he's gotten better, and he and Rose sort of end up with this idea of, hey, I'm actually looking forward to talking to a family member. Yeah. That's fucking weird. Um, <laughs> and it, it's, like, it's like, you know, one of the... It, it, it was probably the most uplifting part of this for me, like, just seeing that even the Thorburn relationships, like the intra-family relationships are, are being repaired. That that really added to this sense of the accomplishment of this whole thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think we should talk about Paige is the next to leave. Um, and it, yeah. it, Actually, it touches sorry, on... Mm. Before, bef- b- b- before we go to Paige, I think we, we should touch on it. Like you, we kind of skipped over Ainsley. And I, I do feel like because... I. Ainsley's leaving honestly more, has more to do with Alistair. Like again, yes. it, it plants these seeds of um, <laughs> which is her, her life story. I think. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very Ainsley. Um, and yeah, I don't know. There's like hints. Like this is one of the only times Blake interjects in the whole chapter with his own thought, which is when when Ainsley sort of says, "Oh, it's nice that you're thinking about my cousin." Blake thinks to himself, "I did give her the ability to care for others. Like I hope that's enough." Basically. Mm. You know he's he's shipping them. Um, I mean, uh, they're engaged. They're engaged. It's not really shipping, I suppose. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like I I don't know. It's it's just a nice little moment again of of like hope that this relationship can work out now because because of Blake's donation. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You're right. It, it's again. It's it's optimistic setting for the future. Yeah. Um. So Paige leaves. Uh, and again, we get more lines around these familiar familial bonds being repaired. Um, I, I think another thing to talk about here is obviously impact fa- the kind of weight of family has been a big theme, um, mostly negative weight of family. And this is <laughs> kind of a step of nope, family can be a good thing. It's it's a support system. It's love. It's it's uh, trust, and and that's kind of what it is being shaped into through this shared horrifying experience. Yeah, like the the the. Pa- page the page exit really complements the peter one because peter was representative of of the relationship with the larger family whereas like i think page 
always represented something more personal because she mm. was Ross's friend. Yeah. And that was really lost to them between the Barbatoraming and the Erring. So ending it with Paige and and them wanting to keep in touch is not just optimistic because the bonds of the family are being repaired, but that like things that were broken are becoming fixed. Um, so it complements this idea of, of healing, like because it's not just that things are getting better, but it's you know things that we lost can come back to us in in new ways. Yeah, I really like that. It, it's an it's an emblem of well, they say that whatever is taken away by a demon can never be replaced, but that's not necessarily true. Yeah, well, it can't be recovered, but it could be sure. Replaced. Yes, it can't be recovered. Yeah. You're right. Um, yeah, and it's not. You're right. It's not being recovered as such. It's being re- yeah. reborn. I guess. Yeah, it's like with with Blake and Evan. You know, like they their connection was cut and and it never came back. Evan never truly became his familiar again. But they instantly formed uh, another sort of close connection that was different, but you know, powerful in its own way. Yeah. Um, so with the rest of the party off, it's just Rose and the others with a capital O, um, and she kind of collapses, and and we get to this final problem. Uh, Rose is too weak to survive. Without consuming the last remaining bit of Blake, um, and Green Eyes knows this, and Rose knows that Green Eyes knows this, and so they're in this weird standoff of, what what are we going to do? Oh, yeah, but even before we get there, there is just a little bit where it's just after Rose collapses, and there's just... I mean, I know I was, like, reading a book, so I can't hear that there's silence, but there totally was. Like, there was yeah. totally just a moment of, you know, it's... Because it's Blake, and, and he's here with Rose, Green Eyes, and Evan. Uh, the Rat Pack's there, too. Yeah. Um, but it, it's really, you know, it's the four... Well, it's the three people who have been with Blake for the whole story. Yep. Uh, and it, it, it it's this fight. Like, it feels like the final moment. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting because I reckon like Green Eyes has a pretty solid case here, right? Like how it would be so hard to trust Rose at all in this situation. And, and really what Rose is saying is, yes, look, I'm going to eat Blake and I'll try and help him as much as I can when I get my strength back. But it's unlikely that that's going to happen. But you know, what else are we meant to do? Right? Like, this is what Blake kind of wanted. What are we going to do here? And, and Green Eyes accepts. It's such a wild thing for her to accept because it is such a, it's such a non-offer really, but she does. And it's this moment of, yeah, like we can work towards achieving peace and achieving better, healthier relationships here. Um, All these characters, all the characters that have been here have been in conflict with each other at multiple points throughout this book. Um, But finally they, they agree to work together. And it's, it's this perfect counter to the idea that there needs to be conflict between these you know in this in these systems yeah i mean rose doesn't even sort of explicitly say she's going to try yeah with blake she just in fact she says says, i can't guarantee that i'm going to be able to do anything (laughs) yeah but wait she doesn't say i can't guarantee but i'm going to try i think she just mentions the can't guarantee thing so there's a real sense of like you're right the trust that green eyes extends here or, or the kind of acceptance i mean we've already talked about how not blake blake is it's hard to know you know, it's packed, so that could be a factor. It could be, you know, the Abyss might be wanting to help Rose out. I mean, I could read all sorts of in-universe things, but I much prefer this this grander metaphor that you're talking about of Green Eyes, you know, choosing not violence, which isn't really something we've seen her do yeah, before. Yeah, it, it is 
I mean, I, I would say out of character, but it's not. It's growth of her character because she's yeah. always resolved things through violence, right? And this mm-hmm. explicitly, like even to Blake, who is one of the closest people to her, even to Blake, this was something of, well, there's no way she's going to not resolve this through violence when it comes up. So let's try and keep yeah. her away from it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's such a perfect way to symbolize, yes, growth, good. Yeah. And again, it really emphasized to me that feeling of, these are our four most mainest characters yeah. and and here they all are at, at at the end and they're all going to do what they can to save um Blake um yeah so Rose turns to Blake and consumes him and it all goes dark <laughs> thank god i know there's an epilogue because like this is this is the most what the fuck kind of ending like mm. the fact that it ends here i was just left sitting there like what <laughs> No, he's gone. Um, he's gone for good. So that's that. See you later, Blake. Um, you had a good ride. Good work. Yeah, I mean, he, he, you know, he did good, our old Blakey. Yeah. Um, uh, and so uh, Rose kind of reaches down and, and kind of snaps him apart and digs for the flesh inside of him. And as she does this, she says, damn it, damn it, damn it, which is a great kind of circular uh, callback to the beginning of the story. Um, and I think it's happened one or two other times where Blake has said, damn me, them, damn them, damn it all. And I Rose, think he's done it twice. This this would technically be the three bed yes. of, of the triple damn, the, the ninth damn it. Um, but it's different because... Uh, because it's not damning others anymore, others with a lowercase or an uppercase O. It's damning it. It's damning the system, Elliot. Damn the system. Yes, come, everyone else. Them, all of you, come, and we'll fight the system together. Yep, and, well, yeah, I mean, they've already started. Yeah. Um, you're right, it is a nice little reflection of how the story began uh, to kind of tie things up. And, uh, and yeah, that's how it ends. And now I that's guess we've got, an, we've got an epilogue and... And that's it. That's so crazy. So, uh, do you want? Have, have you staked a solid claim on what's going to be in the epilogue? I don't think so. Um, I, I can tell I, you, we we go and we just explore the shepherd's backstory, and we finally find <laughs> out what happened with those three weird kids. <laughs> and, and we answer that question, and none of the main characters ever come up. It's just the shepherd <laughs> who we explore. Very odd choice. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I. I, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's going to be whatever. I think I think Rose is going to manage to, you know, she hinted to Green Eyes that she had a plan for what she was going to do with whatever bits of Blake were left. So I guess maybe we'll get something from Blake's perspective because I feel like we closed the door on Rose again. Mm. I know in 16.7 when we traded places with her, I got the sense that Rose was, was done. So, like, I, yeah, I don't know what she's planning to do with Blake here, but like, I feel like whatever's left of Blake is going to be the epilogue. I'm excited for your live read of it. I think that'll be a very fun one to read along with. Oh man, I'm gonna be like, I'm gonna be in tears the whole time. Mm. I bet like mm. it's gonna be it's gonna be a rough read. Um, we'll see, we'll see. Uh, yeah. But- so that's the, that's that. <laughs> that's the <laughs> story, Elliot. I guess we we have one last thing to do this episode, which is uh, to talk about our discussion question. We we were asking the audience, "What does Pact mean to you?" And we lot, got a lot of different and very soulful answers. We'll dive into. Um, but I guess, yeah. do we have anything else to say on like Pact before, <laughs> you know, before we do our live stream, before we say goodbye to this story for good? It's pretty good. Yeah. It's been a pretty good ride, huh? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like I'm still processing that we've reached the end of it, mm. if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. No, it does. It does. I, I still don't think it's properly hit me that we've reached the end of this story slash podcast yet, Elliot. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I think that'll happen over the course of the 24 hours on this. Yeah, about, 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 about 16 hours in, we'll both yeah. have a meltdown as we realise it's the end. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be honest, you know, we'll be without sleep for a while. It's <laughs> yeah, not yeah. the least likely thing. Um, yeah, but, we will be in the place to, to have a meltdown. Yeah, we'll talk more about what Pact means to us, the two of us, uh, next uh, time on the stream. Yeah, uh, But we, we, we will dive into this discussion question. And I want to start with, I think, what was the most uh, soulful answer that we got, um, which was by Hero of Old Iron, who, who told a, a mm. very personal story about the point that their life was at when Pact first started. Um, and, and they kind of talk about how Pact started at a point when their life went in some really challenging directions and they found themselves relating to Blake a lot. And this was something that came up through a, a couple of answers was, you know, Pact is weirdly, I mean, I don't know if optimistic is the right word, but it, it's its the most tenacious of Wabo's stories. You know, it's it, it really it really does say explicitly, you know, you can have terrible situations thrown at you, but perseverance and dedication and loyalty and, and a lot of really admirable traits that we saw in Blake before he went all murder um, can, can really help you pull through to the the better version of, of what can come next. Um, and, and so Hero of Old Iron uh, kind of talks about how this was a message that really did help them start taking steps to help get their life back on track. Um, and, and so they consider it having saved their life uh, in some of their dark places, which is, I think, a really powerful sentiment that sums up the the interesting emotional core of Pact. Yeah, and, and I think a, f- a few people touched on this, but, like, uh, Hero's answer really solidified it to me, like, because Pact, like, it, you know, you hear you hear about people dropping Pact because it was grinding them down, and and I get that, but then you can also see why people who finish the story don't get that, because once we've reached the end here, mm. it is a strangely and, and subtly uplifting ending because you know you know we had to go through being ground down like that by the story to appreciate how how good it feels at the end and i think that that's sort of what hero starts to touch on is is you know they were holding on to seeing how blake and co made it through and then when you get that it feels so satisfying after watching the struggle that it just means so much to you and and you know clearly meant so much to hero of old iron and that's the the power of stories right there yeah i i found it a very beautiful answer um i think hero of old iron was able to capture these these feelings we've been trying to express in a way that was very personal and very relatable oh it was such a genuine answer yeah it was um it was it was really great yeah um we got a response from kirkistan who talks about how pact was the work that really turned them into a wild bow stan um you know, they finished Worm and really loved it, of course, as everyone does. <laughs> um, and then they came back later and discovered Pact and realized, like, you know, this is a whole world of, of content that, that I can enjoy. And they've been on the, the Wild Boat train ever since. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Ace of Sword uh, sort of just, again, touches on how, you know, Pact really taught them how much you can do just through determination and, mm. and force of will. Um, specifically, they brought up like Worm and, and comparisons to Taylor. Like Taylor was this great character, but she had like a great superpower, you know, like she got one that was kind of, you know, it's a bit of a meme how much it gets underestimated in Worm. Yeah. Um, and like, I think everyone, when they first pick up Worm, underestimates what you can do controlling a bunch of bugs. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, but, you know, Blake, Blake's gift is a, a bunch of bad karma and basically being shat on by the world constantly and he just refuses 
to give up and he perseveres just through determination and his own like you know wittiness uh, so his own like wits and his friends yep um and his stubbornness but, yeah exactly and and that's that's so much more powerful in its own way yeah yeah definitely um we had uh, a, a response from Juanson who who basically sums it up as saying the past sucked the present is yeah whatever and but the trajectory is pointing upwards you know there is a possibility for a better future <laughs> and that's the lesson of pact um which yeah, i really and like I mean, yeah like that's definitely something to keep in mind like and, and you see a lot of this like people talk about how you know other news or whatever seems to get worse and worse like people constantly think society is getting worse but yeah generally you know if you look at crime stats or whatever things are in an upward trend and and, and so there is like a part of that you know it, it you do have to appreciate that you know we're, we're getting better and that doesn't mean you stop you, you keep fighting but yeah exactly but we we are making things better and that's that's you know worth holding on to because it motivates you to keep improving yeah it's this interesting distillation of the core concept of like yes the, there are so many things wrong with the present but if you look at the past and you look at where we are today look at that trajectory and think okay those people fought to get us to this point and we can continue to fight to get us to the next point yeah, it is exactly. such an uplifting message, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, Hwansen uh, explicitly contrasts it to fantasy and, and the idea of, like, look at this kind of medieval, ma- magical version of the past and how cool it was. But Pact is this inversion of that where, like, yeah, there were some cool things about that, but also it was so shitty in a lot of ways. <laughs> and and you can actually break away from the systems that made it shitty that, that you know, medieval fantasy or whatever doesn't, doesn't usually touch on. And it... it, it it's such a great, um, yeah, reversal of that, I guess. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, Lord of the Rings is kind of the quintessential example of everything fantasy. And, like, you know, it, it serves here. I mean, if you sort of look at the socio-political structures in um, in Middle-earth, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of not-so-great stuff mixed in there, not just on the orc side yeah. of things. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, like, you, you just kind of have to push that stuff away from your view as you're engaging with those sorts of materials whereas yeah packed packed confronts all that stuff head on yeah it's great um we get another response uh, we got a response from farm fresh hornets who who again talks about uh packed bringing them solace through the ideas of blake's stubbornness and determination uh, leading <laughs> to better outcomes um which i liked uh, we got a response from sandwich that i also identified strongly with which was <laughs> yes uh, that Pact makes other magic systems pale in comparison, <laughs> which is, yeah, it's very true. Um, like, something that I, I think we've talked about before, but bears repeating is, Wildbo as an author is so good at kind of retroactively justifying tropes and making them so natural and fit so well. And so many things in Pact fall into that, ways of, like, making things that would appear in other magical systems but be things that you had to kind of blur your eyes a bit to get past, yeah. making them just so natural and intuitive yeah like uh packed in in many ways seems purpose built to allow wildbo to have in-universe explanations for tropes and and to to play off of them because of that um i totally agree like with sandwich in that like i've watched other things and thought mm, yeah this could all work in packed or i've thought this isn't as good as packed but those yeah. are like the two the two frames of mind i'm in now <sighs> is either either oh this this is a subset of packed or this is not as good as packed and um <laughs> yep yeah like i think I, I don't know if i've talked about this on the podcast before but i went on a, a journey of of uh reading the the harry potter books 
most of them for the first time uh while this podcast was going on i actually gave up halfway through the fourth one just because by the fourth one it was starting to fall apart a bit like in terms of world building and things weren't making as much sense and i just wasn't getting into it anymore and um that's partially probably pack's fault yeah i mean if you do want a version of the harry potter stories that uh tries to be a bit more internally consistent let me turn you <laughs> on to something called harry potter and the methods of rationality which we'll talk about in a little bit i've got a few more answers i want to get through first eh? yeah well we should definitely touch on um stuck in reddit factories and yes. so and, and this is kind of a, a launching off of that point as well because stuck in reddit factory talks about uh brandon sanderson's Mm. magic i haven't actually read any of his books so i don't i don't i don't quite have the context for understanding this but um the basically it was about how uh the strength of a magic system is directly proportional to how much uh the audience sort of understands what's going to happen in it yeah Um, so basically if you have a magic system that no one understands uh you know it's not going to be fulfilling yeah it's it's not satisfying i guess yeah yeah, exactly. And and a lot of people take this to mean that you need like a hard magic system, which, you know, we need the statistics on every enemy to know exactly, you know, what beats what. <laughs> yes. And um, Stuck in Reddit Factory talked about how Pact kind of proves Sanderson right in completely the opposite way by making mm. the softest magic system possible. Um but one that still totally lives up to that thing. Like there's things surprise us and, and everything, but nothing ever really felt cheap there was always uh it always fit into the existing systems in a way that i was like oh yeah yeah okay i see that now yeah it's such an intuitive and personal and creative magical system which is something that i think is really hard to do is to find one that is consistent but also very weird and creative which is what magic kind of should feel like right um yeah and it's done so well in pact through this one core idea which is theatricality really matters right um well, yeah, yeah the 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 concept of magic impact is that like alongside the physical building blocks of the universe we have these spiritual building blocks which transfer power um and effect through meaning and then as yeah. soon as you move things to being based on meaning not physics suddenly you open up so many lateral doors to how things can be implemented it's such a it's such a great way yeah. of like beginning world building yeah it is a really great core concept huh um and then you just add things like evan and you've got a real great book (laughs) um i guess that's it huh that's uh that's packed um thanks for joining us everybody we'll have that live stream which i guess will be a good way to say goodbye um yeah so join us for that i mean i'd normally say that this is where we're doing a discussion question but we're not uh, because yeah. we're just doing a live stream in a bit instead. Um, so take yeah, so take the week to just chillax, come to terms with the story ending, I suppose. Yeah, you know, pop into the discussion thread. We can talk about the chapter. We can talk about all packed up. You know, yep. uh, we'll still be around f- frantically preparing. Yep. <laughs> for Saturday. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Um, what else? Leave us leave us your thoughts on in that discussion thread. Why don't you check out our Twitter, actually? That's a good thing you can do. Um, go to our Twitter, which is at MediaMDPodcast. I forgot it for a second, sorry. <laughs> uh, we can see Elliot's <laughs> final live read. That's exciting. Yes, that'll see be... See him cry tw- in real time. <laughs> that'll be 24 hours after this episode comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you want to know what you can listen to uh, now that Deep Impact is finishing, you got to head to doofmedia.com. That's where all the other shows that are worth listening to are. 
Um, there's there's a fan art contest being run by the We've Got Worm guys, uh, or We've Got Ward these days, I mm-hmm, suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, that's ending in two days, I think, after this episode comes out, or like a day. So you, you're gonna you're gonna have to scribble really fast to to get them in if you're still working on it. Yeah. Um, why don't you support the Doof Media Network now that we've reached the end of this podcast to see what see what they're doing next? There's all kinds of cool content on Doof Media. We alluded to um, Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality before. Our newest podcast to join the network is a discussion on that. If you want more uh, internally consistent magical systems, then that's the podcast for you, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of stuff that's exclusive to our patrons. Um and and it's definitely the best way to keep in touch with with what's happening next uh in all aspects of doof yeah um of course support the man himself wildbo uh, you can head to his patreon at patreon.com forward slash wildbo um he wrote this story it's pretty good you know we've <laughs> yeah. done lots of content on it so uh go and support him <laughs> yeah yeah uh i i mean he deserves it uh, this this ending's so good absolutely mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and so, apart from that, we'll see you all on Saturday, the 7th of March, or for some of you, Friday night, the 6th, Yep. Uh, as we dive into the epilogue and a whole bunch of other stuff that you can see in the show notes below, there's a schedule, we've got a lot yep. on, uh, that, so that's, I'm sure we'll see you all there. That schedule tells you the time that it starts in your local time as well, um, we'll be on the Doof Media Twitch account, so if you want to go follow that, you get a little notification, or follow our Twitter and we'll notify you when we go live and everything, Whew. but yeah, see you all live, in person, for All Packed <laughs> Up, um, in about a week, so we'll see you then. See ya. Bye.